Hello, everyone, and welcome to Neon Genesis Evangelio, our watch slash rewatch of the iconic 1995 sci-fi mecha classic Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm, I'm your host, Jell, and with me, as always, we've got Iroh and G. I believe you mean Netflix presents, uh, Pilgrimage to Mecca presents uh neon genesis even glorio yes did you think are they going to put the netflix original tag on this one? Oh god love, you think they will <laughs> they love doing that oh um, gosh netflix original presents neon genesis evangelion i think it's a reasonable chance that they will oh, boy. i mean they, when, they is paid that, for is it gonna be out by the time this podcast is out yes yeah so that's why that's why i said that yes it's by the time you are hearing the sounds of our voices this all two will of you be on uh yes <laughs> this will be on uh on netflix by then so yeah, I do wonder because they they did uh they did pay for the new dub. So yeah, I suppose they, that, they did. They I, that might be justification in their minds. I wonder to if take credit for it. I wonder if getting that new dub was literally just so they could get away with claiming, you know, <laughs> Netflix a, original the nineteen ninety six you know anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, Netflix. Just, you know, we're going to claim this as one of ours, despite the fact that this literally existed before Netflix existed. Yeah. Well, I've already seen the Twitter discourse firing up on it, so that'll all be interesting. Oh, yes. I mean, isn't I mean, that it's why mostly we, uh... just people complaining about the Twitter discourse, except the yes. Twitter discourse is only people complaining about the Twitter discourse. I mean, look, I... <laughs> There's no actual discourse. Yes, that is correct. I, I yes, yes. I think I think a lot of the Twitter discourse on Ava is just and uh, in, in anticipation slash dread of a hypothetical Twitter discourse on Evangelion. That I mean, isn't that why we did this podcast the way we did? We wanted to get ahead of it, you know, like right that way. Anybody's you know anybody who's like you know watching that show or like ugh the the, the Ava discourse, they can look at us and be like. Actually, we technically got like a couple months ahead of you, but uh, yeah, but uh, I, yeah. you know, I couple months give or take 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, I mean, the show's been out so long, I don't think there's going to be any hot new takes, but who knows? I I suppose, I mean, you know, I don't think this is the time and place for our this podcast specifically, but I, I think there's probably something to be said about. I mean, like myself, introducing this show to uh, an entire generation, you know, of people who, uh, you know, have never watched it. I mean, you know, I, I, I've i talked to my younger sister sometimes, you know, because she also watches anime. And like, you know, like, even stuff like Cowboy Bebop is already past her generation. To her, that's old man shit. Like, Well, Cowboy Bebop's not that much younger than Evangelion, right? You're that's... right, you're right. Uh, let me use a better <laughs> example then. Um, that's a contemporary work. Fine, fine. I, I guess I mean in terms of something that is still considered quote-unquote perhaps relevant in the anime discourse, but... Uh, right. I mean, if you ask me, it's not really these days. No, but... no of course, I'm not. Yes, yes, Ero. We're not talking about you. We're talking about, you know, the normies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, uh, okay, how about this? To my sister... Gurren Lagan is old man shit. Like wow. that shows like 
over 10 years old now, right? Pushing 15. But that's kind of what I mean, right? Is like if if somebody of who's only like, what, six, seven years younger than me already looks at something like Gurren Lagann as old man shit, then I'm totally willing to bet that there is a very large subsection of people who call themselves anime fans but have never gotten around to Evangelion. So, yeah. Well, who can we'll say? Have to, we'll have to keep an eye on that. And maybe we'll talk more about it as the weeks go on because our last couple episodes of the podcast are going to overlap with some of that reaction. Yeah. I mean, so I'm definitely curious to see where the discourse goes because depending on which direction it goes, it will either. It, it, it could go on to prove some of my 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 thesis about this show one way or another, depending on how the uh, the mainstream react to it in 2019. I don't know if uh, you're going to be happy with the end result, G. Oh no, I don't think so at all. Don't worry, I've already written up like I've already written up a couple pages on uh, on, on my fears about where this is all going, but. Uh, all right. Well, I'm so sorry that people will probably like Shinji as a character and destroy <laughs> your thoughts on this show. Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you think I'm worried about? Like, it's it's not that. Like, we don't have to get into it here. But I think you all like. I think I, I have well established at this point what my worries are with Evangelion in the modern discourse, and it's nothing to do with Shinji himself as a character. I. I feel like you're being a little disingenuous, Eero. Like, I feel like I've stated time and time again that I appreciate Shinji as a character. And, you know, that has nothing to do with my own personal feelings on him. Like, I am, in fact, capable of, you know, making a divide between, you know, my emotional feelings about a work and my academic thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, yes, we have kind of gotten gotten into that quite a bit over the uh the, the first half here. I'm going to be kind of interested to see where the conversation goes G with some of your concerns, uh, kind of starting with this batch of episodes, to be honest, oh, because yes. <laughs> we are, uh, we're hitting the, uh, we, we've hit the end of the, the action arc as the, uh, as it's been described and kind of getting into some of the more, I guess th- things that, people tend to remember when they think of Evangelion uh, yeah, as far yeah, as the more uh, internal types of struggles, yes. uh, both literally as we're going to see in episode 13 and perhaps more figuratively. But, uh, but yeah, let's, let's get into it. Cause we're actually, we're actually going to do four episodes this time because we had episode 14 as a mostly recap episode. So we're going to cram that in. Uh, so we want to keep the, uh, keep the ship moving here. And let's get into episode 13, which is entitled Lilliputian Hitcher or Angel Invasion. And is it safe to say this is a Ritsuko episode? Yeah, I, I that's definitely the vibe I got. I mean, she hasn't she hasn't gotten one yet. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I feel like as a character, she has kind of, you know, existed, you know, in the sidelines of this show up till now, you know. She is the scientist, the smart one, you know, but uh, I think right. uh, this is definitely the first episode, at least, you know, from my perspective, that seems to uh, primarily focus on her. Right. She kind of gets the the spotlight on this one in fighting the angel. And we see her quite a bit, actually, in this block, to be honest. But this one in particular, I was is like, you know, everybody's got to get their big moment. And this kind of feels like her big moment. 
but uh but yeah it kicks off with everybody doing the routine uh mag- magi checkup so you know it's always good to you know reboot the computer every now and then yeah got a defrag and uh there's kind of a couple different things scenes interspersed here cuz at the same time i guess they're doing some kind of uh naked entry plug testing with the kids which as you do i I'm still not entirely clear why that was included in this episode, but maybe it was just to have bits with Asuka being naked and complaining about being naked. But, um, or maybe it just kind of takes them a bit out of the action because it's there. They don't really get to do much this week or this episode. So I don't know. Or it could just be anime. Right. Like I said, (laughs) Sato promised fan service, right? Yeah, she did. So anyway, they're they're running all their their tests and whatnot, and uh, that leads to uh, they they get a, a strange alert, something about corrosion in the protein walls, whatever that means. But uh, at first, they kind of chalk it up to you know whatever shoddy uh, construction's been going on to keep Nerve headquarters and Tokyo Three afloat. As they are constantly having to rebuild, of course. Right. But uh, surprise, <laughs> that's not the case. It's actually the 11th Angel. Which, you know, as they are wont to do, just show up at the worst possible moments. <laughs> right, while, while they're rebooting the computer. It seems like a good time to jump in. And uh, the 11th Angel is interesting because it's, uh, it's basically nanomachines. It's nanomachines, son. Yes, we we have to make that reference right but uh yeah so the <laughs> the unlike the other angels this is not like a a big monster to fight it's literally just like you know microscopic beings that are like constantly evolving to basically try and and hack the magi computers yes uh and so it kind of kind of sets us up for a very different type of episode because, like I said, this is not like a huge monster they can fight or shoot at or whatever. It's and the it's the hacking episode. <laughs> yes, right. We have to have you know, the, lots the... of uh, lots of shots of people rapidly clacking on keyboards and <laughs> dropping fucking metric shit tons of techno babble. Right. Yeah, we talked about the uh, the great UI and. Menus oh yeah. and all that in in Evangelion. Well, if you're a fan of that, this is you know the episode <laughs> yes. because oh, yes. that is mostly what it is yeah. uh, for for most of the episode. I I do like that during this sequence that you can tell that like you know say what you will about Nerve as an organization, but if there is one thing they're pretty solid at, it's coming up with. A dozen freaking contingency plans. Like, <laughs> you know, like, look, I don't, I, I truly sympathize with the people at Nerf because when you were fighting something like the Angels, what do you even spend your R&D on? Like, I feel like if there's anything these four episodes really get into with Evangelion, it's that, oh, we don't really know what we're doing because we don't know what the hell we could be fighting next week. Like, I guess. Right. Like, <laughs> like even the, even the simulation 
yeah. stink test, fake Ava bodies are rigged with explosives just in case some, they move or something. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, like you said, Iroh, I really do love that. It, it just feels like, you know, it, it, it feels weirdly logical, I guess. Like, this really does feel like an organization that is trying to come up with everything and anything to throw at the wall, you know? Like, did they ever think that, oh, the 11th Angel will be a freaking hacking nanomachine swarm? No, but we still have, like, a dozen different things we're going to try and throw at it, you know, ranging from, like, weird underwater drones to, like, right, like, rigging the Ava with explosives. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess they did show, I guess, in to the question earlier of why the the kids were involved in this, they did show this new system thing they're working on with like the, the dummy Avas or whatever, but um, it's mostly the Magi computer that's getting hacked. That is kind of like the main problem that they're dealing with. Cause as we saw previously, the Magi like runs the entire city. So <laughs> that's, you know, you know, basically going to, kill the entire kill the entire organization in the city and everything. I mean, I think as I said last uh, last podcast episode, leaving your entire infrastructure to be run by an AI computer, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know you never know when you're just gonna get nano machine hacked. So uh so yeah. just like says cut all alarms, tell everybody it was a malfunction and right, keep this yes. under wraps. Yes. We cannot let anybody know that everything has been infected by an angel. Right. Yeah, there is that good point. There is still that aspect of of mankind, whether in the right or not, often right covering up its own mistakes for its own self-interests. Right. It's um, also the like first mention of a few times in those episodes that unit unit one is like the priority to keep safe. Over either of the other two Avas. That yes. is a good point. Yeah, that that will come into play in one of the later in later episodes too. But, uh, but yeah. So the angel is hacking the computer. Like I said, if you like the graphics, like the main image of this episode is the 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 picture of the three computers, and you know, red is bad, blue is good, <laughs> <laughs> and. And the red is the red gets about halfway before Ritsko finally comes up with an idea to be, to not stop it per se, but slow it down enough to buy them time to figure out what to do. And you know, uh, it kind of stops the graphic, so the red's like halfway through, and they still have uh, one computer completely unaffected, which is uh, the the Casper because they're all they're all named after like the three uh, the three wise men. Uh, the three gurus from Chrono Trigger. Yes, the three gurus from Chrono Trigger. That is definitely <laughs> what they're referencing here. Uh, uh, and and Caspar is the one that's left untouched by the angel. Man. So, uh, the plan of attack then is to use Caspar to you know counterhack the the angel. They kind of describe it as making the angel evolve itself to death, whatever that means. But uh, really, it means. Ritsko is going to hack it back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at its core, that is what it is. Yes, it, it's it's a bunch of techno babble to justify how, yes, Ritsko will, 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 will computer, will, will do some computer whiz bullshit to save the yeah. day. So that kind of leads to this, 
pretty great visual of Ritsuko having to like directly jack into the computer, right? Oh yeah, so I love. Like, I, I really love this this bit here. She yeah. like she has to like break into the like inside of the computer, which has like all these like post-it notes from. Yeah, it, it's revealed that her mother is the one that developed the Magi, and yes. uh, you know is, she's uh, got all these post-it notes from mom <laughs> inside the computer when she which gets is, in. Uh, why Ritsuko called the computer her mom at the beginning of this episode, which yes. I thought was a, <laughs> a, 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 an interesting choice of dialogue that if makes you, sense 10 minutes later. <laughs> yes, if you thought that was strange that she called the computer mother, they do fortunately touch on that pretty quickly. Um, so she, she gets in. Uh, there's this, <laughs> again, great visual of her like having to like pull out a power saw and like crack yeah. the uh, the part of the computer open, which exposes like a literal brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I laughed at this part, but I also did genuinely enjoy this part um, because like before this, right? Like Ritsuko is totally doing the the like as you know, like <laughs> the AI for the Magi could only be completed by doing the like. Blah 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 personality transplant program where yes. you needed to use a human mind to achieve f- true like artificial intelligence, and uh, they used my my mother's uh, brain signals for it, and so of course the like brain box of the AI is just a literal fucking brain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So apparently her mother was like the uh, the you know original test case for this personality implant technology or whatever. And so it's her, her personality and her brain that's serving as the, like the basis for the, the Magi computer. And uh, so (laughs) reach to, to Jack directly into it. Ritsuko has to like expose this like literal brain, like plug her laptop into it. (laughs) Um, And so good thing that brain had the right ports. Apparently they really, uh... (laughs) yeah. Off uh, far yeah. head on that one. It's like you know USB four or something, right? That's, uh... <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Ritsko will get Jackson just in time to uh, as the the angel starts advancing on on the uh, the final computer, and uh, you know most of this is some you know exciting typing action. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> riveting stuff. As Ritsko is furiously typing away and trying to outhack the angel, we do get a great line where Masato is basically like, hey, we're pretty much going to die here. And she's like, oh, no, I've got one full second to spare. Uh, yes, yes. Very, very Computer good. time. That's a huge amount of time. Yes. 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 But, but, but for human time, you know, yes. that's. <laughs> for, for, for Ritsko, who is technically still a human that is uh, uh but yes you know just yeah hey look that that good ass dumb techno hacker bullshit right but uh which ends with the uh the final great visual of like the one blue square on yeah. on the grid that that like stays there and then they every, and then the color just all changes back to blue after you know it's it's the zero 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 one on the timer of the bomb when you cut the red wire exactly <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it's a pretty good way of making something pretty boring visually interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, let it be said that even 
you know, even as I think is the other overarching theme of these four episodes is Gynax ran out of money. Um, I think that even then, I think, you know, as we often see in some trigger works that Gynax has always known how to uh, get the most out of their yen. You know, uh, right. visually. Yeah, because there's not a lot of um, animation, although that's, I'll, I will say there's some great background art, like inside the Magi and everything. So oh, like yeah, no, I love, yeah, I loved a lot of those. It's not parts. animated, so they can get away with it, but yeah. it looks great um, yes. as far as the level of detail. I I kind of like the little touch of uh, with the post-it notes having like random programming notes from her mom. And then, uh, you know, I forgot to write it down. There was something there about basically yelling at Gendo. Yes, 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 yes. There was something that was like, it's like Gendo, you asshole or something. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But having, I'm not a programmer myself, but having worked and managed programmers, (laughs) <laughs> the concept of uh, having to have post-it notes everywhere <laughs> for some of the the backdoor stuff or whatever was pretty amusing to me. But um, and then they kind of kind of get into some interesting stuff here about. I mean, I think they kind of hint at it this whole episode, but I think they they get they get into some interesting stuff here next with like Ritsuko's uh, <laughs> seemingly contentious relationship with her mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she she breaks down the she kind of opens up a little bit to Masato about it and kind of breaks down what the three magi are based on and it's based on the you know three I guess aspects of her mother with you know one being her mother as a mother which Ritsuko says she'll never be able to relate to because she's probably never gonna have kids um, and then her mother as a scientist who she says she respects because obviously. You know, she was apparently brilliant if she designed this Magi system or whatever. Right. And then the final part being, you know, her mother is a woman, which Risco says she hated her. So, uh, wouldn't be Evangelion if the characters did not have all kinds of parental issues. Yes, we had we had we had plenty of uh, daddy issues in the first half. Now we're going to get yeah. into some mommy issues. Of course, gotta gotta get into that. <laughs> gotta gotta have equal equal opportunity for everybody to have issues, deep seated issues with their parents. Yes. So, um, and at some point we did get the uh, <laughs> the the one comic relief bit with the kids getting ejected from uh i guess that as a precaution so they got shot out into the middle of nowhere uh still naked of course as like the final uh kind of gag to close out the episode but um but yeah i mean probably not the strongest episode in the series but like i said i think the point was to give a little emphasis to to ritsuko yeah i yeah, go ahead, I think that um, within the context of these four episodes, actually, I uh, I kind of I kind of like this episode a lot, actually. In in retrospect, just kind of like, and you know, I think I think I'll save this. I think I'll save. I, I'll, I'll go into more detail about this after we kind of cover some of the uh, the remaining episodes on the docket. But I think what I liked about this episode is that. It does what I think good sci-fi does, which is examine interesting, like, 
it, it juxtaposes interesting character dilemmas and developments with the technology that it features. Like, I think the best science fiction tends to, like, have good characters, have good character writing and good character development and, like, good narrative and storytelling development that is often, like, supplemented or pushed by its science fiction elements. And I think that's kind of what this episode does well is, like, yes, like, at its core, this episode is basically just about Ritsuko and her relationship with her mother, but it is frameworked by some interesting sci-fi like sci-fi like set dressing and and uh i guess i keep saying the word elements but i guess that's what it is you know like we haven't really or i haven't really learned much about the ai and the magi up until this point you know like as far as i knew they were basically just your kind of like generic you know science fiction ai supercomputers but you know kind of uh of frameworking that aspect around Ritsuko's uh character and her relationship with her mom I think creates something that's a little bit more interesting in the uh in the aggregate right I mean they're they literally use the technology to have us learn more about Ritsuko yeah, background. yeah. like and, it's and I think that's what good sci-fi does right so yep that kind of uh introduces some of the 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 types of weird technology that we're going to be learning more about oh yes <laughs> uh as the as the um episode as we get into the back half here so let's uh let's move along then to episode 14 which is the recap episode yes entitled uh, weaving a story or uh Sele, the throne of souls which doesn't really make sense because Sele is German for soul, but whatever. Um, so soul, the throne of souls. Yes. So yeah. Uh, so the the first half of this episode is just a straight up recap. So not anything to say on that one. Yeah. Uh, I did. Uh, this to- is where we like. You thought they showed the names of the angels somewhere in the show, and here's where it was. Yes, yeah. actually. There you go. I was not entirely crazy. Um, <laughs> they did. They do mention them somewhere. Um, yeah, it's it, the the first half is basically clip show with kind of the the uh, the military documentary subtitles yes. on them. Um, I did want to mention so the platinum notes give the excuse for why Evangelion has the recap episodes because there's is it be- not we ran out of money. <laughs> so their their official excuse is that. The recap episodes aired on weird days and times. Huh. So this episode in particular aired on January 3rd at 8 a.m. Okay. So their logic was basically, well, nobody's going to see this, so we're not going to waste time on it. Um, Interesting. That's the the official line, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the now well-storied production issues. With the yes. second I mean, half I was, of Evangelion. I, I was going to say, I feel like you could say that, but the second half of this episode narratively introduces some interesting and maybe important elements of the show, you know? So. Yes, yes. So it's not like a total loss. But, um, but yeah, so nothing really happens up to the bump. And then after the bump, we, we, we go right into... You know, Ray having a bit of an inner monologue, and this is 
probably the first of many like deep dives into people's uh, brains that we're going to be doing. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll have a couple in these episodes, but specifically in this case, you know, we're, we're in Ray's head and she's kind of recounting, you know, how she's seeing the world at the moment. I think, <laughs> I think my favorite part of this is um, when she's like going over the list of people that are in her life. And she's like, you know, Commander Akari, Major Katsuragi, Shinji, and then she gets to Asuka and just says the pilot of Unit 2. <laughs> <laughs> Refuses to acknowledge uh, Asuka's existence. Yeah, she has a tiny bit of personality, even if we don't see it 90% of the time. Yeah, but um, some I don't know if this really segment really tells us a whole lot about Rey, other than perhaps raising some questions about exactly who she is or whatever because i but yeah i mean i mean sorry Iro, you i think you were gonna say something yeah go ahead i was just gonna move on so if you had something to say about that segment in particular oh just ah i'm gonna be i'm gonna be i'm gonna be diplomatic and charitable and i'll just say that i think that that segment i think i i get what it's trying to do uh you know kind of because i mean in all fairness, this is probably the most Ray has talked up to this point. So, you know, I think that is an important insight into her character. I also just don't know if it really plays that well as a like. I guess like I look at a I look at an episode like the episode about Ritzko, and I think this is an interesting and like engaging way to like explain and show a character's motivations and like personality. And I don't think that like a monologue with a bunch of flashing images works nearly as well in comparison. Yeah, I mean it is also very short too. So yeah, that is true. It, it is not intended yeah. to be an entire episode. So, Ira, what were you gonna say? We're gonna uh, that the like the next scene is uh, Ray and Shinji basically getting into each other's mechs to test sync on those. Yes. But like with the unspoken um, implication being that that's not going to work with Asuka. Yeah. Yeah. So the, well, it's not unspoken. I think. Um, Do they just straight up say it? I don't remember. Uh, I, either, well, I don't think they say it to Asuka, but I mean, no, I think, yeah, they don't, they don't right, say like, it to Asuka, no, but somebody like, says nobody, it in Nobody's compatible with O2 other than Asuka, but yeah, but Shinji and Rei are apparently have some cross compatibility. I mean, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I think the point is the implication is that Ray and Shinji ha- have some a for uh, reasons unknown uh, a closer relationship and, and ability to to pilot each other's Ava uh, uh, units, and this is something that Asuka is not capable of doing. Yeah, I think because um, I think when because uh, Asuka asks Masato, uh, shouldn't I be? testing them and Masato's like haha you wouldn't want to do it anyway right and then Masato's like thinking in her head well it wouldn't work so right yeah um so yeah I mean there's that and uh there's some talk about this this dummy system uh right which they don't really give us a whole lot of details on but it seems like they're working on some kind of upgrade or improvement to how the Evangelions work which is part of you know the 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 motive for the these you know swapping around tests that they've been doing. 
with unit one and unit zero. Um, and so there, so everything's got some clever reuse of stock footage. Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> I was, I, I was going to say that <laughs> as yes. well. Isn't the back half of this episode entirely just reused footage? Like, so you guys are talking almost about all of it. I mean, right. almost all of it, except for like the very bit at the end. Yeah. So you guys are talking about, so like the, so basically, so basically Ray gets in unit one and it's basically okay. But when Shinji gets into unit zero, things go bad. Um, I mean, it's literally a replay of when, <laughs> of the last time Unit Zero went berserk. It's blue now. It's totally different. Yes, Except it's, it's blue, and Asuka is the one. I mean, Asuka uh, Ray is the one standing in the booth. Yes. So we get yes, we get a repeat of that flashback where the last time Unit Zero freaked out. Although this time they seemed more prepared to shut it down without uh, any significant. Uh, damage well other than i mean without shooting out shinji's pod like a pinball right so uh that did not go well needless to say um there's a really clever bit of animation work here in that um because in the old footage unit zero did not have its big shoulder fins like they take pains to show both unit one and unit two hooked up to the wall without their shoulder fins to huh. like establish that they can be these are totally removable and that's why it's okay to reuse the footage of <laughs> not having the fins <laughs> give their uh, give their continuity person a raise hey like i said man again you, you you see it in trigger and i think it came from gynax these people are the kings of 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 stretching the yen yes so um despite that we get one Final scene with, you know, all being, according to Keikaku, according to Gendo at this point, uh, despite mm -hmm. whatever perceived setbacks there might have been up to now. And that kind of uh, sets the stage for us to move on to uh, episode. I do want to highlight a quick line where Ritsuko says to herself that the person Unit Zero wanted to hit was me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she does say that. Well, I think everybody yes. <laughs> doesn't, uh, or doesn't somebody say, "Did they want to kill Ray?" And then, and then Ritsuko says, "The unit one wanted to kill me." Is that or, or unit she, zero? She thinks it to herself. Yeah, something like that. Yes. I mean, I've... I don't know that 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 unit zero has tried to fucking kill everybody, as far as I can tell. So. <laughs> Well, I think it, well, if the original freakout was Gendo, I think everybody wants to kill Gendo. So get in line, right? Right, like uh, Gendo, Risco, <laughs> Ray. Who can really say at this point? Uh, but yes, Iroh, good point. That is good to keep in mind for a rainy day someday in the future. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I do also like a quick this quick joke where Shinji wakes up in that hospital room. And looks at the ceiling and is like, "I'm sick of this goddamn ceiling yes. again." <laughs> There's after, also like uh, after the unfamiliar ceiling bit, long yeah. time ago. Yeah, because that's like there's, the third, third or fourth time, and it won't be the yes. last. <laughs> There's a, there's also a good line from Ritsuko early where she literally says, "This is the same thing as before," <laughs> when it's showing you know the literal reused footage of Ava Unit Zero going berserk. Was that was that a self aware? Uh 
nod or is it just <laughs> I feel like it has to be a little bit at least partially you know <laughs> like... yeah. alright well uh... and unit zero is a big lance when the credits roll oh yes doing and... something down in terminal dogma yes apparently Gendo sent Ray on a mission to get some kind of big ass spear thing uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where we close out and move along to episode 15 which has i think this is the longest title which is uh yeah those probably. those women long for the touch of others lips and thus invited their kisses or lies in silence and uh <laughs> i thought it was interesting we've bookended these episodes and it, we end one episode with all being according to Keikaku for Gendo and then we kick things off with uh Gendo's uh job security being in question again um and uh you know Futsuki has apparently been contacted directly about uh Gendo possibly losing his position but uh nevertheless Gendo doesn't care plans carry on um and there's there's a couple scenes that kind of get interspersed in the beginning of this episode but I, I we can just break them apart separately uh for one we've kind of always known but we get more official confirmation throughout this episode that Kaji is acting as a double agent. He, he is up to some shady shit. Yes. He is not just uh, Gendo's uh, lapdog here. He is, you know, also working for, well, he's also spying on Nerve. Yes. Um, which I think we saw this kind of like talking to this old woman from the alley thing in a previous episode, but it's a little more explicit in this case that it's, you know, he's, yeah, you know, there was a, I, I feel, I don't think we ever brought it up, but there was an episode a little while back where there's just a scene of Kaji in like a, in like a gondola with like some unnamed woman. Yeah. And I don't think we ever find out who that woman is, but you know, the, the implications of Kaji's, uh, uh, surreptitious, surreptitious nature have been, have been, uh, shown before. Yeah, so more on that later, but uh, also in the beginning of this episode, we have kind of the more lighthearted bits with, you know, Masato being a true millennial and watching all of her friends get married before her. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh. She's having conversations with Ritsuko about her running out of dresses to wear to her friends' uh, weddings. Um, And, uh, you know... She's got another one to go to, of course, and cut with cut in between that. We have some bits with the kids at school and um, Shinji <laughs> Shinji watching Ray clean up the classroom and thinking, hey, you know what, Ray? I'll bet you'd be a great mom, which yeah, <laughs> kind of a weird thing to say. But yeah, just, uh, <laughs> what, what a what a weird what a weird coincident coincidental thing to just say out loud. Like, uh, have you met Ray? I don't know uh, if nurturing is uh, one of been one of her strongest qualities so far, but you know, nevertheless, that's what she's happened. like diligent or something. Yes, yes. I, I mean, if you, wanted to, if, you, if you want to follow, if you want to follow my own personal, like you know, fucked up line of reasoning here, he, he's saying that because. She's quiet. She's diligent. <laughs> she doesn't talk back. Like, aka the perfect Japanese housewife, right? 
Hmm. She does her she does her chores. Um, yeah, that's uh, hmm. something to think about as we kind of move into, you know, the other kind of plot line in this episode is uh, it's apparently the anniversary or we're approaching the anniversary of Shinji's mother's death. Yes. And both him and Gendo are planning to go visit her grave, which you know, causes a bit of anxiety in Shinji because of his relationship with his father, obviously. I mean, yes, goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I don't know. Did I put this in the, how I put this in the notes? Did, did they go do they do the actual visit at this point or does that happen yeah. in the episode? Okay. Yeah. So they do actually, visit. I mean, I mean there it's it's cut between like Asuka's going on a date or something. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like multiple there's multiple things going there's on. There's a lot of a lot of like, different things going on here. Um like I think the the vibe of the episode is what Misato, Asuka, and Shinji all have like a different uh, uh errand to run that day, basically. Like Misato's going to the wedding. Asuka got set up on some kind of date with uh What's her face? The friend of Hikari's sister. Yes, yes. And uh, yes, Shinji is off to go have a jolly good time with his father at the graveyard. Yeah. So um, so they go visit. Uh, we get. Uh, is this the first time we get uh, her name? Uh, Yui Hikari? Yes. I, 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 don't, I think so. I don't I think, think they've said her name before. Yeah. Yeah. I think from. I think from my perspective as a new watcher, I believe this is the first time she has been named. Yeah. So in show, anyways. So they go to her her, you know, kind of simple grave in this plot of a lot of graves, as you would imagine <laughs> yes. there would be. I uh um and uh we we get the, we kind of get the timing because I mentioned she died in 2014, so that would have been about like 10, 11 years prior. So Shinji would have only been like three or four when she passed away. Which is why, you know, he, he mentions at some point in here that, you know, he doesn't really remember her at all. And uh, Gendo being the great father slash husband he is, is like, well, don't worry, kid. I got rid of all of her pictures because I, rem- I remember her in my heart. And that's what really matters. It's just like, <sighs> what are your deals? This is the, like the longest they talk like in the yes. whole show i think yes it's yeah uh, actually i think this is the longest conversation they have in the entire series it's a it's an interesting conversation in all seriousness i think it, it really speaks a lot to not just their relationship but like what drives gendo as a character like I, I was I was joking about it because it's a it's it's a patently absurd thing to tell your child, but like the statement that like, you know, true memories live in your heart, and like you don't need like, you know, physical items to remember someone by. I think very much. I think that all, I think that speaks a lot to uh, who he is as a character and why he is driven in the particular way he is. Right. Uh, again, not to justify it in the slightest. Oh, but no, not it, at all. But it is an interesting explanation of who he is as a character. Yeah, it's important that characters have motivations and they don't necessarily have to be good motivations, but they're logical, right? Like there's like uh, a logic to them. Um, I, I still just personally can't help but fucking laugh at this idea of like, 
<laughs> just Shinji to be like, man, I wish I knew what my mom looked like. And Geta's literally just like, tough shit, kid. <laughs> I knew her when she was alive. Uh, yeah, he's like, you know, there's some things a man shouldn't forget. And I'm like, well, he can't. How can he get <laughs> right? Like, remember. Like a, he's like, I guess you're not a real man then. Sorry, my mom fucking died when I was three. Like, and then he uh, pieces out in his giant. Right, he calls his fucking VTOL <laughs> to fly VTOL away. Doesn't give Shinji a ride. Shinji is to walk off through this giant yeah. graveyard. I assume you could, you could fucking walk yourself home, kid. Poor, Shinji, poor Shinji's like, I'm glad we could talk today, Dad. And he's like, Oh yeah. And then just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, no. and it's not like, because Ray's also on the thing, right? So Ray's it's, also it's, on the helicopter, which is really like, funny. It's not like it's going somewhere that's not nerve business. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, just like I, I feel like I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's to the point where I think it's comedic. Like, I think Gendo. <sighs> Gendo must practice to be this fucking awful of a parent. Like, you don't do this shit accidentally. Like, you write to yourself in your dream journal, Dear Diary, tomorrow I'm taking my worthless son to go see my dead wife. Make sure that the VTOL helicopter arrives at this time and picks me up, and we explicitly don't pick up my son. <laughs> well, they didn't even go together, right? They just happened to go at the same time? Like, I'm sure. right. yeah. I mean, I think it was a scheduled meeting, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but just... Uh, like you gotta try to be that much of a dick. Yeah. So anyway, um, we move along. Shinji goes home, and we find out. I guess he plays the cello. Yeah. Um, he's a child of well, if not many talents, then a few talents. Yeah. So he's he's home playing the cello by himself when uh, Asuka comes home early from her blind date or whatever. Asuka naturally comes in here to ruin everything. Well, she comes in and she's surprisingly nice to him. Uh, once, uh, at least, we're, is she? At least at yeah. first. I mean, by her standards, yes. Yeah, like she's like, wow, not like she tells him that he's pretty good. Wow, you don't completely and, fucking suck. And like when he's like, no, nah, it's just I've just played a long time or whatever, and she's like, that's... I mean, that's the... Like, that's a good thing, basically. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess this entire conversation is just colored by the one fucking line she drops later yeah. in the scene. Well, that is this maybe the most fucking, like... Right, she reels she's home early. Fucked up thing I've ever heard a character yeah. say. Yeah, we'll, she was so far. We'll, 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 we'll get, get to that. We'll get to that in a bit, but... She's she's home early because she just ditched her date because he was yes. boring. Yes, and you know Kaji is the only man for her or whatever. But uh, again, I don't know what she sees in Kaji. But other than that, maybe he's the only man in this show in his late twenties. But if your your options are Kaji or Gendo, so it's ugh, well, <laughs> I don't know. What about a uh, air guitar guy? He seemed okay. <laughs> Kaji and Gendo. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Don't go bad mouth an Alba like that. <laughs> He's all right. Yeah, I don't know. I have a glasses laundry guy. Well, okay, that guy's got his own baggage. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, you got to have the uh, the the day ray to the the soon, right? Like that's. I guess that's about as much as we're gonna get out of Oscar at this stage of the game. But uh, I feel like the day ray here is like, I don't know, man. This is like mining and shit for gold. <laughs> well. Take what you can get. Um, 
Anyway, while the kids are now stuck at home alone, we cut back to the at the bar with the grown-ups after the, the wedding or whatever. Uh, the third after party, <laughs> according to Misato. third after party. That is a hell of a wedding if you got a third after party. Uh, Misato has been getting hammered. It looks like this is this is the bar that they usually go to, though, right? Or the, the wherever that they usually go to, it looks like. I don't know if it's at Nerve or where it is, but I don't know. Not really. I feel like the implication there is that there were two after parties and then the three of them just went alone to the, to the bar. Yes. 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 So, um, so yeah, Masato's getting hammered. Um, and as she is wanting to. <laughs> we, we do get one little bit where she runs off to throw up or something. And, um, we, we just have Kaji and Ritsuko and it kind of implies Ritsuko knows that Kaji knows that Ritsuko knows that, you know, Kaji's poking around more than he's yeah. probably been poking. Around. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think the implication up to this point has been that most of the like nerve higher, like higher ups are aware of Kaji, right? Because like, isn't there a line at the very beginning of this where like this episode where like Fuyutsuki is telling Gendo about like blah blah blah, hey, they want to fire you, et cetera, et cetera. Also on the docket, uh, what do we want to do about you know so and so? And Gendo's like. Leave him be. I can. I still have use for him or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think the implication is that everybody knows Kaji's up to no good, but they also believe they can still use him. Right. That's kind of why Ritsuko is like, you know, as a friend, uh, you might want to stop poking around. But um, but yeah. So Masato is hammered, as mentioned, and uh, needs assistance getting home. So you know, Kaji's. Helping her along the way, and uh, it turns out Masato's kind of a sad drunk. <laughs> yeah, she's one of those types, huh? So she, um, you know, she kind of starts talking about why she dated Kaji originally, how he reminded her, or uh, reminded her of his her dad, and which is a hell of a reason to start dating someone. I mean, it happens, but uh, yeah usually that's not what you're thinking at the time, but you know, you start thinking, you, you know, these are things you figure out 10 years later or whatever, as we are now. But, um, and she kind of, uh, you know, again, we, we, this reinforces, you know, we talk about why Misato and Shinji are kind of kindred spirits. And she kind of compares herself to Shinji's situation with her relationship to her father and kind of, you know, joining nerve and fighting the angels as a way of, you know, running away from her problems or whatever. Yeah, I I do kind of like this bit, even if it is just a little bit of like. I, I do like this bit if it's just because of like Masato basically being like, "Oh wait, I'm kind of a sad sack too. I'm just like I'm just an adult, which means I have like slowly acquired the skills and abilities to better mask it up with professionalism." <sighs> yes. Um... Yeah. That's what being an adult means. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I wish I could uh, argue with that more, but I don't know how much I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. So uh, you know, she's she kind of opens up to Kaji about that, and um, in the meantime, we did still leave the kids at home, home alone, and yes, as. It tend to happen if you leave kids home home alone too much and they're bored. Uh, <laughs> Asuka's like, hey, Shinji, uh, you want to make out? 
Yeah, <laughs> just as kids are wont to do when left un- unattended. <laughs> um, which, you know, perhaps understandably catches Shinji a bit off guard. I mean... And, uh... <laughs> go ahead, G. I'm just saying, considering her personality or her behavior up till now, like, from Shinji's, like, viewpoint, like, this is, like, the most out-of-left-field thing Asuka could possibly say like if shinji has run the oscar calculations like a hundred times in his in his head <laughs> hey want to kiss probably never came up in those calculations you know this is this is probably the best time to bring this up but i think now that i mean now that i'm really thinking about it maybe one of the reasons why i'm slightly more sympathetic toward oscar is uh when i was 14 i knew a girl who was very much like oscar that was my age and mm-hmm treated me in similar uh in a similar way and uh, you know don't we all. she also asked you to kiss her on the anniversary of your mother's death well <laughs> i'll say it just she just it turned out it was just because she likes me is all i'm saying but uh you know you can kind of do the math on that one sure yes i mean yes of course of course with hindsight yes i'm just <laughs> look i'm just saying look at a guy like shinji the way that guy lives his life this never came up in a million in a million yes. calculations. From Shinji's yes, and then I can also probably sympathize with Shinji then because in his from his perspective, what? Um. Also, 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 as Iro said, let's let's not just like fucking throw that line away. Asuka's come online is maybe yes. One of the rudest, harshest things I've ever Ooh. heard said in this show. Yes. Up until now, <laughs> I like I like she didn't mean it to be that cruel, right? Like, there's no way. Like, probably <laughs> not. But like, it's. <laughs> I mean, look. Like, in many ways, you could always make them argue. Like, look, it's been like over. It's been a decade for Shinji. He never even knew his mom. It's probably not like that emotionally like damaging to say something like this. But on the other hand. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like this is a really fucked up Yeah, because Iro mentioned, she's like, oh, what's the matter? You want to kiss me on the anniversary of your your mom's death? Are you afraid she's going to be watching you from heaven or something? (laughs) Like, oh, what are you saying? Girl has zero chill. Zero chill. Um... Nevertheless, uh... I mean, nevertheless, yeah, I mean, nevertheless, I mean... What uh, 14-year-old boy is going to be like, man, that's fucked up. But yeah, let's do it. Um, which, uh, you know, that leads to an extremely awkward uh, actual kiss where, <laughs> where Asuka hold, holds his nose closed. <laughs> which, uh, which I, don't know, I don't know if Asuka has done this before or not, but... Uh... Yeah, I have to say breath control while kissing is an underrated skill and cutting off your... <laughs> primary source of breathing at that stage is not going to lead to a to, to an effective kiss let's put it that way sure um, but uh but i guess point is it happened um yes and then of course afterwards oscar has to react in the most theatric way possible she has to she has to overreact in the most like <laughs> just 
in-your-face way possible, of course, because we can't just let a moment like this sit. No, no, I need to make I need to make theater of running to the bathroom and fake throwing up and and, and gargling mouthwash. Yes. Like, <laughs> just, yeah. If you want to do all this, why the fuck did you want this kiss in the first place? Well, she she said she was bored, right? That's. I mean, uh, these women longed for the touch of others' lips and thus invited their kisses. Right. I mean, yes. Fine. We we, can, we might as well, might as well just get into the actual reason, which is that after we're right after this, right, Kaji shows up with Masato and Toe, and uh, yes, Asuka immediately changes her tune, you know, to uh, to lovey dovey Kaji mode. Yeah, until she smells Asuka's perfume on him. Yes, or no, Masato's or, perfume. Uh, my bad. Yes, Masato's perfume that Asuka wanted to use earlier yes, in the episode. But that is a dangerous weapon for grown-ass women only apparently <laughs> so, um so yeah and, that was uh, we, we, weird and awkward yeah, yeah but i think it kind of gets into this idea of i mean i mean I, I think it's fairly obvious but just like the idea of like oscar kind of uh impotently trying to find physical intimacy in like what will always be unsatisfactory proxies because the one you actually want physical intimacy from will never in a million years ever give it to you. Right. Which, I mean, it probably extends beyond just Kaji and just in general, we've talked about her like desperately needing validation, right? Yes. Um, And, you know, I think Kaji is probably just one form of that. But right. by extension, you know, like you said, she's basically taking it out on Shinji because yes. he's the only one, again, that pays her any attention. Uh, but uh, anyways, let's get back into the weird stuff. Yes. So uh, we, we kind of get a, a quick little bit here, but feel like it's probably important enough to mention where they're doing roll call at school and Ray's been absent again. She's apparently hasn't been in school for a bit uh, for, you know weird reasons as we get a glimpse of her doing some she's in a, her weird spinal tube attached to a giant brain yes we find out that central dogma is a big robo brain attached to a big robo spine that is attached to ray well you have you have your your terminal dogma which is inside central dogma i'm not sure which name is better at this point but uh oh they're both very good they're both very good so she's doing her naked tube floating uh, mysteriously um, and, you know, we, we close out with Kaji doing some of his double agent investigating only to find himself being held at gunpoint by Masato, who is also onto him. And, uh, you know, they have a kind of a bit of a tense moment until Kaji just go ahead, goes ahead and swipes his key card to reveal, um, interesting sight <laughs> deep within the bowels of nerve here. Um, what, uh, in some very subtle imagery, some giant creature <laughs> crucified to a giant red cross with uh, a, a big white guy on a cross <laughs> with, uh, with the, the lance we saw Ray carrying earlier, uh, pierced through its chest and, uh, you know, Masato identifies it as the first angel, Adam. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, kind of like just its upper half. Like, yes. 
right. to this. Thing. The, the door was labeled is... "too busy being made out of tiny legs." Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying, Ira? Like the the door is labeled like LCL production plant. Yes. Right. Um, yes. And then you just see that's just like bleeding out of this thing. Yes. <laughs> yep. It... Oh, that's Certainly... where we get our magic juice. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, uh, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of ambivalent on this episode for the most part, just because, I mean, I don't dislike the relationship stuff. I think it is an interesting and valid aspect of Evangelion, but I think here's where I'm going to kind of echo back to the Ritzko episode, where I think the reason why I like the Ritzko episode is because it was character development frameworked by interesting science fiction. I think a lot of the relationship like the relationship stuff between Misato and Kaji and Asuka and Shinji was kind of just relationship stuff with none of the science fiction uh a bits interspersed into it but uh that said you know um like look again I will say that I'm going into Ava as fresh as I can but you inevitably absorb a lot through cultural osmosis but so you know I kind of knew what Adam was before all this. Right. But I will say that in context, you know, it's still a very interesting and striking moment because it immediately recontextualizes, like, oh, why are the angels, like, why have the angels been trying to break through Nerve headquarters? And all of a sudden, like, their efforts, which had initially seemed alien and unknowable, suddenly take on, like, a very sinister and directed uh intent you know now that we know what is uh resting at the bottom of nerve headquarters right yeah it it, it gives us uh you know one one extra step in the direction of kind of understanding what is uh what is going on here um yeah i mean it's that's an interesting point just to your previous point about the relationship stuff because it is true there's really not any like the real science fiction elements, I guess, but I still think it, you know, for what it is, does an effective job of giving us what we need to characterize, you know, the, the, the cast and everything and their, their, the present state of their relationships. Yeah. uh, I mean, I I would agree. Like I, like I said, I think it is, I think the character development and stuff that happens in this episode is entirely valid. I, you know, and obviously you can't fucking gin up an excuse like an angel is hacking with super nano machines. You yes. can't come up with something like that every week, right. you know, to to justify character development. But I, I think it definitely speaks to, I think, the elements of Ava that I think are at least more personally engaging to me than others. You, you can't fix everything with nano machines. <laughs> but, um... That's not, what, that's not what I learned from Hideo Kojima. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh, well, this is uh, how many years before Metal Gear Solid is this? I don't know. I mean, Metal Gear is before. Yeah, this, I, right? I know. Yeah, Metal Gear and Metal Gear Solid are very different, though. Um, <laughs> Fine, Metal Gear Solid is ninety eight. So. Okay, so we're still All right. a year or two, or two, two or three years away at this point. Um, okay, so you know we close out with you know, the discovery of Adam there and, you know, we, we move along then to the next episode 
Mm-hmm. Episode 16, which is splitting of the breast or in sickness unto death and dot, dot, dot. Um, and we get a little bit of levity here for a moment with some of the happy home life, quote unquote, happy home life of, uh, you know, Shinji and Asuka and Masato, which is mostly as we'd expect Asuka yelling at Shinji and Masato just being like, ah, he's fine. Leave him alone. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did want to just point out the stupid detail because I <laughs> like, of course, is that even her bath towels are red, which I don't know why that just tickled me pink for some reason. Just like gotta, fucking, of course, of course, everything she fucking does is like color coded. Yeah, you got to stick to your, like, your character image colors, man. Like, I, I mean, like, not even from like a fictional standpoint. I feel like even in in universe, of course, Asuka would fucking do that because, like, <laughs> yes, even without she's just got to rep her personal brand so hard twenty four seven. Even without the, the the meta context, Asuka would do that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we get a bit of that, and kind of, I think they're just trying to put us into a good mood leading into the next bit where we uh, we we get our latest synchroni- synchronization tests with the three kids, and Shinji is now number one. He has hell yeah. He has the highest sync rate, which uh, which. Kind of makes Asuka right. mad, but I was thought she like, would be I mean, more mad about it. But she seems pretty mad. I don't know. I, I thought she was. I thought like she seemed like pretty last mad episode plus the start of this episode is just like slowly dismantling her sense of self. Yeah, yeah. I guess she's a little more sarcastic I, about it. But um, I feel like I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like Asuka really lost her chill in this episode i feel like well i mean at, at this part specifically it'll there there's going to oh, be sure. it's it'll be worse later on yes but um <laughs> oh yes i'm sure yeah and so so shinji is now the highest uh, he now has the highest sync rate and um or whatever that means whatever that means and he he kind of starts feeling himself a bit in this episode uh, yeah, I, I I was gonna say I feel like Shinji seemed almost a little uncharacteristically like gung ho and self confident in a way that I guess I found to me personally based on what we have watched up until now seemed to me a little bit out of character. I I can't point to a specific moment because I have an awful memory. But I feel like one of Shinji's primary characterizations was like him finding no joy in being praised as an Ava pilot. Like, I, feel I, think, like that was- I think that just like changed like a few episodes ago when he was like, I think I pilot the Ava to hear hear my dad tell me good job. Yeah, sure. I, think I guess so. We've seen evidence of his confidence building up. Um, yes, yes. I suppose so. I guess I just felt like. I heard Shinji dropping lines in this episode that I was like, okay, like, all right, all right, settle down, Koji Kabuto. Like, I think, um, well, for one, I mean, I think there is a logical path that, like I said, building up his confidence a bit that we've seen. I mean, you know, dude's got it number one in the sync test. He just kissed a girl the other day. Uh, (laughs) You know what? Like, was kissed by... All right, you know what? I take it back. I take it back. He's playing the cello now. I mean, 
you know, he, he he's he got to talk to his dad. Um, the you know, all right, fine, right? Fine. Yeah, like his dad's talking to him now, man. Yeah, so, sure, for I, Shinji, things are looking aces. I, I think what, um, but and I and I think what's important is what happens after this because, like, there was one scene that stuck out to me, and I forget exactly where it is, so I'll just mention it now because it's kind of relevant to this part of the conversation. But he's like, he's kind of happy and feeling himself. And he's like on the bus or something. And like, he sees like two kids looking back and like snickering at him. And he like immediately his like countenance drops. Like, yeah, it's still. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is like a level type of, you know, very fragile confidence, but it's, but it has been, we have seen it kind of building up up to now. Sure. Um, Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, they're doing their sync tests, and of course, you know now's a good time for an angel, right? As as you do. So uh, we get the the twelfth angel appears, which another a, big floating object. Yes, it's a big ball, a big ball we don't have to animate, a big ball that doesn't move, which <laughs> looks like a big big black ball floating in the sky. Although it turns uh, out. We, we find that the actual angel is the shadow on the ground that is impervious to physical attacks and can eat you. Um, and this is like a, the only appearance of some of the Ava armaments, I think. Yes. Um, I, as far as I, as far as I remember, <laughs> this is the only time we get like unit zeros, big sniper rifle or the like gold, super big ax for unit two yes. or, or the Ava sized deagle. <laughs> Yes, I I did love these little this detail here because like on one hand I'm like wait what like okay you built an Ava sized pistol an Ava sized sniper rifle that makes sense and then an Ava sized like fucking hatchet like and then I re- and then I remembered episode and then I remembered episode uh, thirteen with the nano machines and I was like oh like. What could you expect from Nerve at this point? Like <laughs> when they're when, the angels are these fucking bizarre existential threats that literally change like not only their physical makeup but their like inherent metaphysical causality every fucking week. Like, what could you do but like just make a bunch of random shit and hope it works? <laughs> like. How the fuck are you supposed to know? Like, ah, uh, no, turns out the angel this week is bulletproof, but not axe-proof. It's a good thing we built the Ava axe, I guess. Like, Yeah. Uh, you, I just thought it was funny with the with the handgun. They made zero effort to, like, make it look futuristic or anything. It's, nah, just, that you know, it's, so just, a fuck, it's just a fucking gun. <laughs> no, that thing's just a gat. <laughs> uh, at least they all got a weapon this time. There's yes. a little, just like, 10-second bit here where Asuka reaches the end of her cable, oh, deta- it. detaches it, pulls out the new one, and the, ne- the next building over. Yeah, oh, so us, good. Yeah. To like, attach uh, the door back. You know, they, they, um, the angel appears, and, like, they're like, oh, who's going to take point on this? And Asuka basically goads Shinji into doing it, because, oh, he's the, yeah. he's the number one pilot now. Shinji should do it. Um, and, um... And it's interest. It was interesting. Like we see a part where Shinji, you know, calls the shots, and then is like waiting for waiting for Asuka to get in position. And like that bit where I, where I was saying she had to change plugs or whatever. It's like he's almost, he's almost getting impatient because she's not in position yet, right? Which is kind of an interesting, again, yeah. showing his 
you know, he's almost getting he's he's almost getting overconfident at this point, right? Yeah, which he's, he's like trying to he's trying too hard, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess I guess that is why I thought that, like, at least to me and my perception of the character up until now, it seemed a little out of character how gung ho Shinji seemed to be in this episode. But I guess if you recontextualize it as he is purposely trying too hard, I guess yeah, that kind of makes some more sense. It, to me, it's a very like, oh, you, you said I can't do it. Well, well, fine, I'm gonna fucking do it, and I'm gonna do it as hard as hard as possible. I and then, me, I'm actually kind of reading it up. as um, <laughs> I'm actually kind of reading it as oh, well, I'm number one now. This is what's ex- this is what people want from me. Sure, I guess. I, I yeah. guess for me, I, I guess the reason why lines up with his personality, but yeah. yeah. I guess the reason why I didn't think that the oh he got goaded into this by Asuka re doesn't really quite work for me is like Asuka has talked shit this entire goddamn show. Like why would and, and and at least up till now I feel like the prevailing like thought is that Shinji for the most part doesn't really give a fuck what Asuka says. I mean, beyond just giving his usual like I'm sorry, you know, response. So like But I mean we've seen- I'm not sure why Shinji now of all episodes would start to care about what Asuka has to say. But we, we've seen him get fed up before. Like he does eventually kind of, he, he bottles all up and then eventually kind of explodes. Like, right. true. you true. know, I'm thinking back to like, uh, even going all the way back to like, was it the second or third angel in the show where he like freaks out and decides I'm going to kill this thing, even though I'm probably going to run out of time or whatever. Like I, he, he, like he, he basically bottles up, bottles it up, and then eventually he kind of has to explode. And I think, you know, you combine the constant nagging from Asuka and now him, you know, he's starting to feel a little confident. Then, you know, maybe now's the time that he sure. snaps. But, uh, and I don't even want to really even describe it as a snap per se, but, you know. Well, anyways, long story short, <laughs> turns out that this big ball is deagle proof. So, yep. And uh, Shinji gets eaten. <laughs> Apparently, this angel is some kind of like also fourth dimensional black hole thing that. Uh, right. You know, the Sea of Dirac. Yeah. Whatever that means. There, there, you sure. know, I haven't even touched on. There's like so many references to and, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, thing that I just don't feel like are really worth looking up. Right now, yeah. But there. Yeah. The, there's like like the, the the both episode titles and then like you know the sea of Dirac and all that it's all like psychological terms and whatnot but i mean again like i said there is definitely a specific type of anime fan out there who looks at the stuff like that and probably even looks at the judeo-christian stuff and is uh truly drawing blood from a stone here <laughs> well i i don't know if it's entirely meaningless but i it's just not i don't feel like it's important enough to no. really get into all the, the details of it uh, it's definitely not because i mean I, th- I think there are some definite like references to psychology we can get into in a bit when we get to when we get further into the to shinji's uh battle here but um so yeah shinji gets eaten and everyone's kind of freaking out because they have no idea what to do because this thing is obviously impervious to uh all the physical attacks um we got an interesting scene and i thought it was interesting yeah, almost because of the lighting, <laughs> um, <laughs> but also because the, like hard black shadow. Yeah, shadow they went from like, yeah. some, like hard black shading in this bit, but also um, you know Asuka's 
like, oh, well, you know, Mr. Big Shot Shinji, I guess, you know, I forget exactly, but. What an idiot. That's what he deserved for going out like that. Yeah. She's still talking shit about a guy who might be dead for all they know. If he isn't dead now, right. they determine only has like maybe four hours of life support or however much they say it was. Um, And Ray actually starts. The- yeah. This episode, I feel like, is some of the most Ray has emoted the entire show. Like, I mean, this is a very low bar, but yes, yes. but. Yeah, but that's that's why it's notable, right? Like, right. I mean, and like when earlier in the battle, when Misato says to retreat, and Ray is the one who's like, "We can't retreat because Shinji's in there," and we get like a bit of Oscar being like baffled that Ray is the one saying that. Right. Yes, but then we get a good beat of here where Ray basically just fucking calls out Oscar on her bullshit and like just straight up is like. Do you just pilot the Ava out of a desire for praise? Like, is that literally all you're doing here? Yes. <laughs> and of course, Oscar's like, no, I don't, no, of course not. Like, I do it so I can praise myself or something. My- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, man, Ray just fucking going for that gut punch. Yeah, yeah, just really just fucking cut through all the bullshit in a single swing. Cut the shit. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, for the first time, yeah. So uh, we do get a glimpse. Of, so so they do. They do figure out that if Shinji basically shuts everything off, he has maybe about four or five hours of life support or something. Yeah. He plug suit. Like yeah, like sixteen hours or something. Yeah, and I think at this point we kind of get a shot of um him inside the angel, but he's basically just stuck in there. There's like, when he turns the lights on, there's like literally nothing. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a he says a line here. That's like, I never knew it could be so exhausting to sleep. Yeah. Cause <laughs> it's like, man, same dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, while he's stuck in there, uh, I guess we find out that Ritsuko can take command at any time, despite uh, Masato supposedly being in charge. I think this was a, like, you're unfit for command. Yeah, you're unfit for command I feel like that was the implication. You're getting too emotional, Commander. But, well, here's the thing. So, in this conversation, they kind of hammer down the point that Unit 1 is a priority. Right. Because Ritsuko, it's not it's not even Shinji, it's Unit One. Right. So because Ritsuko is basically willing to sacrifice Shinji if needed to save Unit One, which and that's why she decides to take over. Um I guess how is so, so here's the here's the thing, and I, I was I was gonna mention this earlier with the Adam thing. Masato doesn't really know anything. <laughs> or at least not or right. at least they, they're not telling her anything, right? Yeah. So like she doesn't know that Unit One is a priority. So like from her perspective, like um, or at least the priority in the sense that Risco is thinking of it. So from her perspective, how would she even know that? I mean, I don't think I would mean, change her decision, but I, I, I think it, I think it's kind of a, a dual thing. I think I think some of it is definitely colored by like, I mean, I think that's kind of the whole point of like Misato's realization in episode fifteen, right? That like, oh wait, like I'm more like Shinji than I thought. I think that has kind of colored her perception of her desire to like you know, save him. But I think also, like, just from, like, you know, I'm not going to go into one of the tangents as I might do in, like, another podcast I record, but uh, 
you know, in military command, like, she is doing what is generally considered, like, the sensible thing to do. Like, I guess mecha anime has always been the, the subversion of this, but generally in military command, it is almost always preferable to save talented personnel over valuable hardware. Right. Because, in theory, hardware can be rebuilt, right. but personnel cannot. Like, you know, training a new pilot, especially when your robots operate on these weird, bizarre rules of they have to be kids born from a certain generation, and they have to have the right, like, mental wavelengths. Three like, of them. Getting one of those is already hard enough. Like, in theory, anyways, Masato, I feel like, is operating under the logical assumption of, like, well, in theory, we can get another Ava unit, right? Like. Uh, assuming we treat them as military hardware. <laughs> but, you know, I think some of this is speaking to the fact that she doesn't really know, like, what is really going on behind the scenes in the way that, you know, Gendo and uh, Ritsuko do. Right. So, uh, so Ritsuko's plan is to get all the <laughs> N2 mines in the world. Just <laughs> not, drop a thousand dudes on it. It's not hyperbole. That's she literally her plan is to get every N2 mine that still exists in the world. Um have the if we blow it up real hard, have, have the maybe it'll turn uh, inside out. Yeah. Have the remaining Evangelions uh, you know, disperse the AT field as they do, and uh, you know, blow the thing up. And I guess from that one like for like one millisecond they will have to uh get unit zero out of there. Um which, uh, in a series full of not great plans, does not is maybe one of the worst I have fucking heard in this show. Probably second. What's, what's, what's the probability of success? Point point. How many zeros? Did they, did they give? A, did they give a probability? No, I don't they, think they, they did. Didn't. This time. I'm yeah, it's probably only it. second to uh, Masato's uh, zone defense plan to catch the angel. Um. You know what? Somehow I still have more I have more confidence in that plan than I ever had in this plan. Yeah. Um and I did and and obviously, you know, that's a point of contention with Masato because that's probably gonna kill Shinji. So <laughs> I thought it was interesting they made the point to Sharitsko later say, let's advance the operation by twelve seconds and maybe Shinji will still be alive. <laughs> like real real <laughs> generous there. Yes. But um she cares. Yeah, she cares. That's you know, in in Ritsuko time, twelve seconds is like like a week. I think it was twelve minutes. Or, <laughs> yes. I, I thought she said twelve seconds, or, or even twelve minutes is not very much time, right? But uh, anyway, while they're while they're uh, calling in the cavalry and ready to drop the mines, we do dive into Shinji's head a bit. Boy, do we! Uh, yep. We get some of his kind of internal monologue. We get some persona psychology here. Oh boy! So, what I've read about this episode, based on like, like I guess there's an interview or something with Tsurumaki that's like the striped shirt Shinji is supposed to be the angel trying to speak to him and understand him. Yes, I think I've heard that too. Um. Not in the platinum notes, interestingly enough, but I think I've heard that in other. Right, it's it. Apparently, the source is from a like booklet interview booklet that was sold with the uh, tickets to End of Evangelion. Ah, uh, one of those things. Yeah, that is like 
It, it's the thing that is spoken of once in <laughs> a supplementary material that has never been scanned I, and never been translated. It, make, right. it makes sense because it kind of. No, no, no. I don't. I don't deny it. I just. It very much speaks to like. I think it, this is, doesn't really have anything to do with the show itself, but just the difference between you know between like Western and Japanese like like right, right. canon wrangling, so to speak. Right. Like, like Japanese, like like the Japanese perception and understanding of canon is like so loosely defined. In right. They don't care as much as we, like the West does. Right. So it's just like, ah, somebody could just say something and we'll <laughs> never like print it out officially. It'll just be printed on this one I mean, booklet <laughs> with this one supplementary material that was given out during one promo event. Right. Like in 1999 or some shit. I mean, the like, like the like actual Holy Grail or whatever of Ava canon quote unquote is like fucking, a side menu in the PS2 game that just lays out everything. <laughs> right. Um, like, that's kind of what I mean, right? Like, just like this fucking, like, absurdly obscure bullshit that, again, I don't deny and probably makes some sense in retrospect, but just. Yeah, I mean. Oh, why couldn't you just put this in a book somewhere? In this specific instance, it kind of makes sense because it almost carries out as a conversation, right? Like, this scene. Um, in which case, it would make sense. It would be like the angel trying to communicate with him. Um, and maybe perhaps understand. Right. I guess he straight up says, like, I didn't want to just have an alien be like, ah, your mode of speaking is so so inefficient or whatever. Like, he didn't want to do that. And Mm. so had had it take the form of Shinji. Except that just kind of makes it a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I probably... Just a little. I wasn't really thinking that. I mean, in retrospect, after you mentioned it, it makes sense. But I wasn't really thinking it, I guess, watching it. Right. Um, and so it kind of it kind of explores things that we've kind of already known about Shinji and his insecurities and whatnot, which makes sense. But um, you know, we 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 wake up from that to Shinji kind of in his final moments of life support. Uh, if we didn't think LCL was gross enough already, <laughs> you know what happens when the the filters turn off. Um, and you start Right. When it, what happens when LCL goes stale? Ah, and start getting floaty bits, and you're basically breathing yeah, right. in your lungs. Um, right, because it's like because they do the the whole liquid breathing thing. Like if you don't have the oxygen filtration, you're just gonna drown. Yeah. In in giant angel it's blood. Gotta be like um, pretty high up on the list of worst ways to die. Right, like. Drowning in uh, angel blood that's already filled your lungs and is contaminated with whatever floaty bits. Um, so that's pretty gross. But uh, you know, in Shinji's final moments here, he's saved, or at least he sees what appears to be some kind of apparition of his mother, and uh, that cuts away to. Unit one going berserk again and breaking out of uh, breaking out of captivity. Right. It's been a while. Yeah, and uh, yeah, doesn't make any sense. But uh, he breaks out of the uh, the floaty ball in the sky, which we're told wasn't was actually the shadow and not like a real thing. But hey, whatever, it looks cool, right? <laughs> um, and. <laughs> I think the I think the plat I didn't put this in our notes, but in the platinum notes, it's supposed to be like a supposed to kind of look like a giving birth or something. Oh sure, yeah, I, I, I could have gathered. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty <laughs> unsubtle. 
yeah. metaphor there, visual metaphor, uh, as he breaks out of the the uh, the angel. And for anyone, any of the characters there that are presently witnessing, like Ray and Asuka, who have not seen Unit 1 go berserk, are all now in the, oh my god, what are these horrible monsters we're piloting mode. Um, yes. <laughs> I did like I did like the line where Asuka says, I'm piloting something like that. Because, I mean, I've spoken about it in this podcast before, but like, you know, I haven't had really a, much of a chance to get into this, you know, because of the subject matter of these uh, series of episodes. But, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of spoken before about the giant robot as kind of a metaphor for the monster. You know, I've spoken in the past about, you know, the the, the Gundam or its alternative nickname, the White Devil. You know, the this idea that the giant robot is a machine, you know, machine made monster. And, you know, I think that it is definitely moments like these where I think Ava is really paying tribute to that kind of thematic subtext, but kind of just making it, you know, very, very apparent in its visual design and its visual presentation. You know, we, right. We see here once again, that unit one is a very monstrous thing. It's you know, much more a, literal. Like it's yes, actually a monster. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. So uh Unit One breaks free and I guess once again we have uh we kind of end on Shinji in the hospital, same room, same color. Um except this time the well both the girls in their own way are there to check in on him. Well t- <laughs> uh, uh you know, Ray Ray gives the same, you know, go ahead and rest speech she did uh, way back in like uh was it episode five ish? Somewhere around Operation Yashima, I think. Something like um, that. Um you know says the same uh, line as his mom in the flashback as well. Yes. Of mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, good for you or whatever. Yeah. Um and of course Asuka is waiting outside the door trying not to be seen um, <laughs> in classic uh, tsundere fashion. Um, but yeah, and that closes out our block of episodes here. So um, I guess real quick, just in summary, G, do you have any thoughts on the direction we're headed to here? I do. I, I have a lot of thoughts, to be honest. But um, I guess I don't want to pull the trigger on these thoughts quite yet because I feel like we have just begun to take a very specific kind of narrative turn in this show. But I don't want to necessarily mischaracterize the direction that this show is taking without getting the full picture. Right. Um, I guess the way I'll put it is... Um, I certainly see why we are getting into the parts of Evangelion that I think are remembered in 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 its legacy and its perpetuity, because they are intrinsically more uh, unusual, more striking, in ways that are different from what uh, mecha anime typically does. But I would not say never does. But I am. Hmm. I'm certainly curious. I, I think I'm, I'm certainly curious, and I'm certainly interested in 
where this show is going. You know, I I think I would be lying if I said that I enjoyed this section of episodes as much as the prior section, you know, just in terms of like kind of what I emotionally like react to in terms of what I kind of prefer as just a a fan of entertainment in general. But, you know, academically, I am certainly uh, certainly interested in seeing uh, how things play out from here. If just because, you know, I think with this at this point in the show, you know, we are clearly taking a turn, you know, from the external, you know, to the internal uh, in terms of how our characters are examined. And uh, right. I guess I'm definitely still interested in seeing how it plays out. Um, I think the thing I would say is like, I feel like, I feel like people have had the benefit of hindsight and decades to kind of look back at these moments and kind of, you know, analyze them in greater depth, you know, spend time like kind of picking apart these moments and the visuals that are presented in them. I think as someone going into this fresh and again, we're in, we're in 2019, you know, like a lot has changed and the the medium, not just Mecca, but like the medium as a whole has grown a lot in, in the time since. I, I don't know if some of the more surreal stuff necessarily plays as well. I feel like at least on a first viewing, I think like I, I fundamentally understand what they are trying to do yeah. with the imagery they are showing, but I think that taken I think taken as a work of entertainment media, I'm not sure they all necessarily play as well as maybe people think they do. Or or even maybe just at the time to it's very hard to gauge the context of what it would have been like. Of course. Like I know I mean I know my experience watching it fairly close to when it came out. Uh, which is very different than my experience watching it now, I think. Um, but uh, it's, it, it is, it, it's always hard to look back and kind of understand the context. Uh, totally. But, but I mean, I think the best things hold up regardless. And I, I do think Evangelion holds up, even if, you know, like you said, we're looking back with, you know, the 2020 hindsight here. I think it, I think, it definitely still holds up and like I like we've kept saying just perhaps in different ways than we originally thought. Yes, but, uh, yes. I mean I think I would I would agree with that sentiment that I think that even in twenty nineteen it is still a strong piece of work. I guess what I mean is like I I, I am curious what people, you know, had to say about some of the stuff going on now at the time, because like look, I I, I was not around at the time, but I, I have read cultural criticism from the early 2000s, at least. And let me tell you, a lot of that was, like, not just for anime specifically, but cultural criticism of entertainment media in general, games, comics, anime, etc. Just wasn't that good back then. <laughs> I, and that's not to like denigrate the people who were doing that important work back then. Just that, yeah, you know I mean, we, that that craft has grown a lot over the years. And so I am curious if, like, 
I, I mean, were people taking away the same things from that show now as they were back then? I think I think some of that might just be more people having more outlets to talk about it now than back then. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think I, I know what you're, what you're getting at. Um, and I think we'll be, that will again be a more interesting conversation once we've approached the end of the show. Cause this is kind of just kind of getting us started and moving in a different direction. Um, indeed. Ira, do you have any, uh, overall thoughts rewatching this block? Um, Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that, like, like you said, we can see in hindsight, and I think that's the thing that's interesting to me. Rewatching this is that, like, the like amounts of foreshadowing and how the plot keeps tying back into itself in ways, because um, like that's hard enough to do when you're releasing like a single bespoke product. Um, that like you can go back and continuously edit like a manuscript or whatever until everything ties into each other properly. But when it's something like a serial show that's being thrown together at the last second um, with the budget falling apart and all that, like keeping all that stuff straight. You're, you're, putting, is, yeah, uh, you're putting the railroad tracks down while the train. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that that modus of production is also very unique to anime. Right. I feel like yeah. In the West, you know, usually these sorts of things are completed before they are released. So, right. yeah, that certainly adds a an interesting element to the story of uh, anime production. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say this time around, I am catching more of the foreshadowing, and I don't right. know how much of that is just me understanding the plot more now but um a little of column a little column b yeah um and uh, you know i i like kind of the the abstract bits and whatnot i usually like that kind of thing anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. i think i think um even now it well it might feel maybe a little I guess you could say dated compared to like, you know, modern, you know, more modern types of presentation and whatnot. I still feel it's more effective here than most uh, anime. It's, it's helped me like get a handle on like what are Evangelion's unique strengths compared to like the unique strengths of any other given mech show. Like, sure. Yes. What, are, what are the specific things about Evangelion that it, it does that nothing else really does versus the stuff that like Gunbuster does that nothing else does or right. what Gal Gagar does what, that nothing else does. Like combination of elements, you know, what alchemy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Makes it feel like Evangelion and nothing else. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, I think, I feel like this episode, like this block of episodes is also like the hard line between, or like the hard line where, Evangelion is going to start jumping off to the deep end to ex- it's a, the sh- I feel like the show this is where the show becomes extremely Evangelion and you know what I, I mean guess, yes yeah. yes and I guess like that's why I, I'm saying again I would be lying if I said I did not kind of dread <laughs> dread that and also say that becoming extremely Evangelion I feel like deserves the asterisk which says for both better and worse. 
it, it, it just because of like what I have taken from this show so far. Like, I think. Yeah, I mean that's why it's interesting to me. Those because like uh, it's becoming the most is where everything becomes the most itself. Yeah, you know. And, and we I have, guess is um, that is that unilaterally a good thing? I guess is the it's a, it's an it's what makes this interesting yeah. to me right now. I, I think in this context, I think to that point. These episodes still feel like they are intermediate episodes, and we have further to go <laughs> before we really get into the meat of uh, what you're talking about, Iroh. So, then I will uh, definitely way, save my. Mo- it's kind of like you're doing one, you're doing two different things, and maybe not doing them at their best. <laughs> versus where we've gone from one thing that they were doing at its best to you know maybe doing the other thing at its best and right now we're still we don't have the money anymore to do cool fights so <laughs> well, what do we do now guys yeah definitely yes okay yes. let's I mean, deep dive on the characters yeah i mean we'll certainly definitely notice that this series of episodes you know like i said at the beginning of this podcast i think one of the overarching themes of this series of episodes is we ran out of money yup yeah all right well, I think that will do it for this episode. Uh, we've only got a couple left here. I think I miscalculated the timing of it earlier when we were talking about it, but there's only like maybe four episodes left or something. So we're well past the halfway mark of the podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, very interested in hearing everybody's takes on the, uh, the as we get deeper into the back half here. So, um, so yeah, that'll do it. Let's do our housekeeping. I guess one more reminder at this point, Evangelion is on Netflix now by the time you're listening to yes, this. Yes, by the time you've heard this. So I go check it out there. Hopefully they didn't put the... Tell everybody that wants to get in on the Ava Discourse that you know this great podcast. Yes. Yeah. So tell your uh, definitely tell your, your, your friends who are watching the show for the first time to... Check out episode one of this podcast. We can get your <laughs> opinions on this journey. Um, you can also, of course, uh, check out all of our other content at theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. Uh, you can check out all of our other podcasts on the feed, our growing, expanding Glorio network. We've got uh, the Glorio chat where we talk about current anime events slash news slash actual anime if we ever watch any um we've got uh, legend of the glorio heroes where irng talk about uh, legend of the galactic heroes and we have the uh, the glorio glorio's king of the king kaiju. kaiju which yeah, uh, new one is going to be a series with uh, chris and collins where they're going to watch old kaiju movies and my personal favorite part is actually they're going to have a running list of ranking all the monsters power levels and who's the, the who's the strongest monster. Oh, that that won't be contentious yes. at all, I'm sure. So, <laughs> uh, definitely check that out and every and all the other podcasts which you can find uh, most places podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, we're also on Podbean and we upload everything to YouTube. So check it out there. Um and that housekeeping spiel is getting long. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, <laughs> we are 
growing the network more and more. Yeah. If I ever find more time, I think I have even more podcast ideas, but I can only uh, oh, right. so many simultaneously. Well, hey, you know what? Keep them in your back pocket because, as you said, we only got a few more episodes of this that podcast. That is true. That is true. There is no, uh, unlike a certain legendary 1988 science fiction <laughs> oh, there movie, we go. Uh, there is no Neon Genesis Evangelion Gaiden for us to uh, watch uh, after the I'm original sure OVA series. Sign material or something, right? Uh, but <laughs> all right, so that'll do it. And uh, well, we got one more thing to do here. Next time on Neon Genesis Evangelio, we'll talk about episode seventeen, Fourth Child. Episode eighteen, Ambivalence or the Choice of Life. And episode 19, Introjection or Man's Battle. And stick around, because this time we're going to give you that fan service. See you next time.